Constitution, which most people don't. <laughs> so Fred is—he's uh, become kind of a student of the Constitution, and uh, he is really good. If you've heard our past episodes, he's really good at kind of explaining to the layman how things really work. You know what the Constitution really means, and uh, how it affects our daily lives, or how it should. <clears throat> so, Fred, hello there. Yes, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Good. So we, we, we've we got through all the articles, and now we're going to the amendments. That's correct. <clears throat> okay. So take it away. Take it away. Okay. We are on Amendment 1 out of the first 10. I don't know how many of these we'll get through tonight. But the first amendment is the one respecting religion. If we read it, as the words say, and stop and think about how they're placed and that kind of thing, uh, we find that it uh, is written in a good way. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. So they can't make any law about religion, whether you can have it or whether you're not, or can't make a law prohibiting the, exer- the free exercise thereof. So that's interesting why... Uh, the schools have been able to say you can't have prayer in school when they're not supposed to prohibit anything. I don't know how the schools get away with it because that's unconstitutional according to this. And there may be somebody that don't think we ought to pray, but I'm one that thinks prayer is a good thing. Anyway, um, they cannot make a law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press so you can say anything you want, you can write anything you want, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, there has been a lot of times that people are restricted somewhat in gathering together peaceably and petitioning the government for redress of grievances. There's probably been quite a few instances of that since this was written. But that's supposed to be our guarantee. Um, the, the one thing that maybe I should mention for all of these amendments is that they were for the states, not for the federal government. They were written to protect the people and the states, not the United States. Now, um, Mr. Marshall... Supreme Court Judge Marshall way back in the early days, he's the one that came up with the idea and promoted that these were for the United States. But if we read the Second Amendment, which has to do, of course, everybody knows what the Second Amendment is, has to do with the right of people to keep and bear arms. But what it says in the first part of it, the first sentence, it says, a well-regulated militia being necessary necessary to the security of a free state. Right there it says for the state. And all the militias at the time this was written were militias of each individual state. There was no United States militia, especially at the time this was written, because it wasn't the United States when this was written. 
that hadn't been done yet. And then, of course, um, the right of people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, period. There's nothing after that, and so that means they shouldn't be doing anything to infringe on our right to have our own weapons, and the weapons are not for hunting. They can be, but the reason this was written in there is so that we could protect ourselves from a bad government or other governments. So I got a question about that. Sure. I'm going to take this to an extreme. Yep. Suppose I want a nuclear weapon. Then what? Well, it says says to keep and bear arms. So, you know, what now what they'll try and do, which I think is okay. In fact, I read some stuff on the net today as I was preparing for this. Um, The arms that they had at the time they wrote this are the arms that some people will say, well, that's the ones they mean. So if you've got something more than a squirrel gun and, or a cannon with a big round ball, those are the weapons they were talking about, and you can't have any of these new uh, tactical weapons and you know military weapons and all that kind of thing. But it doesn't say that either. So even still, most people, even with the restrictions we have now, have a single-shot weapon, so you have to pull the trigger for every time it shoots, unless you've got an automatic, which only the military is supposed to have. And, of course, we've already been through the idea that the military, at least the Army, is not supposed to exist except for the militias of the states. But anyway, um, so that, that fits, and I think there's enough people in the United States who own weapons, and it, it, it seems kind of funny that uh, a lot of the verbiage they use, we should have gun control to make sure that people, uh, no, let's see, the responsible, how they put it, the responsible uh, gun owner. Right. Well, most of the people who own guns legally are responsible. So that's kind of a a misnomer. And the ones that own guns illegally are the ones causing problems most of the time. And so, of course, there's a lot of people that would say, oh, that's okay, that would say, um, if you control the guns, you control the people. And... um, the only people that will have guns if you do gun control are the honest people, because the dishonest people are not going to be controlled by a law. They already aren't now. So that's the issue of that. So I don't know. According to this, the way it's written, uh, if we went, like other things, if we go back to what the founding fathers knew at the time and what they meant, see, some of these words are based on the dictionary that was um, available at the time they wrote this, which would give us then the idea or the definition of the words they used at the time they used them. And that's really the only thing you can fall back to for sure, rather than having someone else say, uh, this means something else now, because I've heard people tell me that the, the Constitution is a breathing, living, breathing document. 
and yeah. it's written in a way that can be changed. And I'm thinking, no, no. It says what it says, and if you want to change it to make it accommodate, fine, but you haven't done that. So until you do, this is the law. And most of the time, it covers, as far as I can see, any of those kinds of things because they wrote, they didn't say squirrel gun. Right. They didn't say, you know, they didn't. They said to keep and bear arms, whatever those arms are. It could have been a pitchfork. Who knows? Could have been a pitchfork, could have been a machete, could have been, you know, a cannon you had in your backyard that somebody else didn't have. But anyway... It's written arms, and we consider all those kinds of weapons arms today. So they wrote it, as far as I'm concerned, to cover what we may need as citizens to protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. Yes. Okay, now, amendment number three. We could go on with amendment two forever, but we'd be saying the same thing over and over again. All right. Yeah. So Amendment 3 says, No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner. So that means back in the days when they had the War of 1812 and and uh, the Revolutionary War and when the British came over and they just took over somebody's place and, and they just, that's where they lived. Whatever they decided to do was tactical for them. And uh, we have made that Illegal because no one should be. Uh, they, you know, we have the Fifth Amendment that we'll get to. Um, it's your property, it's your place, and you should have control of that, no matter who's. Especially in in uh, time of peace, and uh, it also in our Constitution says that it shouldn't be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner in time of war. Now, this is an interesting phrase. After that, let me read the whole thing again. No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. So I'm not sure what that means unless if we go to the code, and I haven't done that, at least not for this amendment, to see if they have prescribed by law whether anyone can be quartered in someone's house in time of war, as prescribed by law. So the sentence doesn't really make a lot of sense, the way it's written, but it does leave the door open for Congress to prescribe by law um, that question, whether or not there's there's some way in some uh, dire circumstances or some emergency maybe that uh, our, maybe our position, our military could, because of the emergency involved, be quartered somewhere in a house that is very strategically placed that would, you know, benefit all of the people somehow. That's the only thing I can think that's in there for. For instance, if we had, if someone declares martial law, that still shouldn't give anybody in our military the, the ability to take over someone's house without the consent of the owner. Well, it sounds like whether in peace or in war, you need the consent of the owner no matter what. Correct. That's exactly what it says here. So I would think that is something that we, you know, should be able to 
point to and say, well, this is what the supreme law of the land says. No, you can't have my house. No, you can't use my place, you know, my farm or whatever, unless I say you can. And that's that. Um, so that's the third amendment. Amendment four. This is the one that everybody is up against all the time in this country. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, yep. houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. So if we go just that far, um, the it leaves it open to someone, usually a judge, their unconstitutional judge. Well, that's true, but uh, and it doesn't say judge here either. That's the other thing. But anyway, the way it's done now, they have a you know you can get a search warrant, and it has to be signed by a legal standing judge, and he's the one that has to decide whether it's reasonable or unreasonable. If it's unreasonable, he's not supposed to issue a warrant. If it's reasonable, then he can. But that's, you know, everybody's idea of reasonable and unreasonable could be way different than the next person. Right. So there's not really a... um, There is some in the code, but there's not really a a hard rock uh, decision made or written in the Constitution, it just says against unreasonable searches. It also says, and no warrant shall issue, so he can't issue a warrant, ex- but on the f- on upon probable cause. So they got to figure out what probable cause is. Now that's another one that people, can, that the military, the police, and anybody can stretch a long way and claim that they had probable cause because of this. So the dog sniffed, or the you know all these crazy things. <clears throat> So what about, and probable cause. Go ahead. Okay, so they knock on your door and say, well, we got a warrant, we're coming in. Now, aren't they supposed to give the warrant to you for your inspection before they're allowed in? They should. They have to They have to show you they're authorized to do it, and that has to be, um, you know, a warrant signed by a judge. It also has to have on the warrant, and it says here, that's partly what it's, what's part of the amendment, the Fourth Amendment, it's supported by oath or affirmation. That would be, you know, the judge that affirms that he's signing a warrant. And it also has to show, or say, particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So there have been many times, I'm sure, because I've heard of them, where they just get a warrant and go in and search for everything. And then if they find something that seems worthwhile that they weren't even looking for, then that's where they try and get you. But unless the warrant says what they're looking for or who they're looking for or where they're looking, then they can't be there and take anything else or anybody else. But I don't know, you know, when you got a SWAT team coming in with all kinds of guns, um, the guns usually are the law at that time because you don't want to get yourself blown away. But that doesn't mean they're executing the warrant legally. So that's an important one. And uh, anybody that that uh, comes to your place, if they're asking to come in and search and they don't have a warrant, you do not have to let them do that. 
and uh, you're free to protect yourself from them if they don't have a warrant. Now, the problem is, if you do it at gunpoint and say, get off my property, if you don't have a warrant, then they're going to turn around and say, now we have probable cause. What's your reason for not letting us show it? So the only reason you have is the Fourth Amendment. And that's the one you have to, you know, make them follow. Don't let them intimidate you. Uh, And if they do have a warrant and you haven't got anything to hide, then you let them come in and search for what the warrant asks for. Uh, Hopefully whatever they're looking for is not there. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well be law-abiding, too, at the same time. That's the whole point of this law. So, but you don't want them to overstep their bounds either, and you have to watch them so they don't, because they're not concerned about overstepping bounds, and we have to be because we're the citizens. We are the law. We are the ones that came up with the Constitution. We're the ones that supposedly are the ones to keep it in place, not the government. Okay, anything else on Amendment 4 before we go to Amendment 5? I think we're good. Okay, the Fifth Amendment, everybody knows that you've heard that forever and ever. The Fifth Amendment, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So you have to have a grand jury that that, uh, indicts someone, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces they have their own military law, which doesn't consider a grand jury, or in the militia, which would be the same, when you're in actual service in time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy. In other words, if you've been tried in something and you're acquitted, they can't say, oh, if we, uh, we're going to try you again because they already did it, and if they messed up and they didn't, you know, either you didn't do it or you didn't and you got away with it, that happens. They can't try you again if you've already been acquitted. Uh, So that means, well, what it says is, put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law. Now, the last clause of that, well, before we get to the last clause, maybe we ought to go over any of that. Are there any questions on the Fifth Amendment up to that point in the Fifth Amendment? I think everybody kind of understands that. But in a state, there are some states, which is very interesting, there are some states who don't have grand juries. And so, how do they then indict someone for a capital or otherwise infamous crime without a grand jury if this requires that they have to have one. I don't know how those states are doing it. It doesn't make sense because then they are unconstitutional, however they do it. Right. I didn't know that. There's one idea there's one idea that I have on that. And that is that they basically um, go by state law instead of by federal. Um, I don't know that they do it that way, but it's just an idea that they are not looking at the Constitution of the U.S. They're basically looking at the Constitution of the state that they are in. And that that may well be the case, but 
every state constitution should uh, be pursuant to the United States Constitution. And so no, if they're doing it another way, then they're not in compliance with the United States Constitution. Now, that goes back state. to the Tenth Amendment, though. What's that? That goes back to the Tenth Amendment now, where the state actually has the power to do its own thing, and then they comply somewhat with the federal, but it's not the other way around. They're supposed to have a... Um, in other words, the federal is secondary after the state. That's the way it's supposed uh, to be anyway. <clears throat> no, the states do can have their own. In fact, there really should be no federal courts in any state. But the states have supremacy over the state, but only if they're pursuant to the United States Constitution, because that's how everyone is supposed to be admitted or not admitted to be a state. It has to fit, their their constitution has to fit with every part of the United States Constitution. That's the way it's supposed I to gotcha. be. Because the okay. United States Constitution is the supreme law of the land. So if they've got some other way that they're using different terminology for the same thing, maybe that's true. I know in Utah we do have a, a grand jury system. Um, I don't know how often it's used. It doesn't seem like you ever hear about it. You know, people are going to prison for felonies all the time, and I don't hear that a grand jury handed down an indictment except once in a while. So I think there's some more study that needs to go on there, at least for myself, to make sure how that works. But this is what it says. So, you know, okay, can't be held or answered for capital or otherwise famous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So now they right. might call... Any any jury, a grand jury. I don't know. Maybe that's how they're getting around it. Okay, now if we go to the last... Uh, oh, go ahead. Anybody? You had more questions on that? Or were we good? That looks like we're good. So let's go ahead. So that's the fifth, and so you want to move on to the sixth now? No, we're still on the oh, fifth okay. because it has okay. one, one more clause. Okay. So... Uh, let's see. This whole thing is one sentence. So anyway, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in the time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense twice, we've gone through that, nor shall any person be deprived of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. That's a big one. And I don't know how many people understand how big that is. That clause makes all property tax in the United States unconstitutional. Whoops. Yeah. So, for instance, and this goes into income tax, too. If I go to the store and I buy something, and there's a tax assigned to that, and it's assigned at the time of sale, and we generally call it a sales tax, but it is a transaction tax because there's a transaction taking place. I'm purchasing something, and there's a transaction there or a sale, 
And so then the, the tax is applied at the sale. And then nobody has to keep track of it except the poor uh, store owner who's supposed to keep track of the tax. And that's a whole other story. I'm involved in that right now with my state. Um, so now you have a, 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 tra- a tax, and so your tax is paid on that item for you just you just received. And that was income to you. Something came in. You didn't have it before, now you do. That's income. And so one of the reasons that the United States tax code does not dis, uh, have a des- definition for income is because they can't. If they did, it would it would show that they couldn't. There there could be no income tax. Of course, we have that whole thing going on, and we have lots of ways to get through that. But anyway, so now you own whatever it is you bought. That now becomes your property. So you own whatever it is you just bought. It's already been paid tax on. Now. And we can use another word here. In fact, we have a whole thing written up on our website, rightgov.com, that will explain this maybe more clear in in more easy terms. Not easy terms, but more clear, more fully. So now, instead of income, we could say it was in came because it's already came in. Now it's yours. You own it. Now, if the United States, under the Fifth Amendment wants to tax you again on that because it's property, it says here they cannot take anything you have for public use, and that's the only thing they can do with it. If the the United States government or your state government takes something from you, even if it's a tax on your property, then they have to compensate you dollar for dollar for what it is because now they're taking whatever it is and giving it and and making it a public thing for public use okay so if they tax your property now your property somehow has to be valued less because you just paid money out of what you own to them, and they didn't compensate you for what they took for public use. Does that make sense? Got they it. can't take anything from you for public use unless you, let's say they take your house, okay, because they're going to build a road or something. If they do that, and they agree to do that, you may not have a choice because, you know, for the the better good of the public, that's the best way to go for the road and it's cheaper to go through there, they'll take your property, they'll take your house, and they have to compensate you for the going fair price of what that property is worth before they can start building the road. That's the same thing with any other property. If you pay property tax, they need to compensate you fair price for what they're doing. If they're taking money from you and putting it to public use, which is any, that's the only thing they can do with their money unless they're, you know, hiding it and embezzling it. They're using it for public use if the government has it and they have to compensate you for a fair price. So that's why it really can't be done under the Constitution because you have to be compensated. So if they're going to say you owe 15% tax on your property, 
Well, then they have to pay you 15% back to compensate you for the for the money they're taking or the property they're taking for public use. And that's, like I say, it's explained a little bit better in our write-up on the website. You're welcome to go and read that. But that's kind of the, the real basis of the whole thing. That's why all property tax is unconstitutional because of the Fifth Amendment. Now, most people don't even know that that's in there. They look at the Fifth Amendment, you know, I'm going to take the Fifth Amendment. I don't have to, uh, to testify against myself and all that kind of thing. But that's a very important part, and that makes all property tax unconstitutional. The only tax that is constitutional is a sales tax, a tax when something is sold or a transaction tax, and you pay on it at the transaction, and then everything's done. So that's a real interesting thing. We've got uh, a few people that we've helped out on that. There was one place, a guy in um, had a bunch of land in Idaho, and he sold it for, I don't know, a couple million or whatever it was, because it was pretty good size. And then the state came to him and said, you need to pay property tax on that, or, yeah, you need to pay tax on that money you received. And so as we look through it, it's interesting that in Idaho, there is no sales tax on real property sales. And so the only other thing they had was their property tax, and we wrote up all this stuff and, and sent it to them the same way and said, well, you can't do it under property tax because that's unconstitutional, and here's all the reasons why. And, of course, you can't go after sales tax because your own law says you don't charge sales tax on property sales. And the guy hasn't heard back from him yet. So, And that's been a couple, three years ago. So I don't, I don't know if they've ever figured out how they're going to get around that, but they really can't because <laughs> that's what it says. So that's all of the Fifth Amendment. Wow. Yeah, and so property tax is that's a, a big one. A real big one, and that's where it is in the Constitution that says it's it's unconstitutional unless they compensate you for anything they take for public use, whatever it is. And if they're taxing you, they're taking money from you for public use, and they should compensate you a fair amount, which would be dollar for dollar, for whatever they're going to take. That's why it doesn't work. But nobody knows that. You know, it's one little last clause and the, the last line of the Fifth Amendment that nobody really thinks about. What does this actually mean? What does it say? Okay, on to the Sixth Amendment. This one gets into all kinds of court stuff and judges and that kind of thing. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial. I don't know how long... Uh, what speedy is, and some people's mind when it takes them three years to get to the actual trial. Yeah, it's happened that way. And it should be by an impartial jury, nothing about a judge here, of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. Now, the district here, I don't know about wherever you are in your state, we have supposedly, other than in our state, we have a whole another can of worms because we don't have a legal judiciary, but we're supposed to have district courts, state district courts, not federal. And that's what this is talking about. So it's supposed to happen in the state where the crime happened, 
and in the district, if you have district courts, wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law. So in other words, you've already got it set up and everybody knows where which district you're supposed to be tried under. And you're supposed to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation. And here's a very important line coming up next. To be confronted with the witnesses against him. Of course, that would also include her. But you're supposed to be confronted with the witnesses against you. Okay. To have a compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in your favor, you can go find anybody that's going to be a witness for you, and to have the assistance of counsel for your defense, for his defense, so for the person's defense. So if we go back to be confronted with the witnesses against him, if you get even a parking ticket, or if you get a speeding ticket, or if you get any other citation and there is only one police officer issuing that citation and there are no other witnesses for their side, then they don't have a case because the Constitution of the United States says there has to be witnesses, more than one. So that's the first line of defense. Say, well, you know, where are your witnesses? The second line of defense is uh, a law enforcement officer cannot be a witness because that would be a conflict of interest. He can issue the citation, but he better have somebody to be able to back him up witness-wise because, and it better be more than one, because one won't do it. One witness against you is two people, and you can't go anywhere from there. You know, it's a draw, no matter how you do it. What if they have video? That's another witness. Okay. Okay. So that would show. Now, you'd also want to, to prove that the video wasn't edited put together, I mean, you know, with, with the technology we have nowadays, right? Uh, you can make anything in a computer and it can look just like it's supposed to. So that's the other issue you'd have to, if, if somebody charged you with something and you really didn't do it and they had video, then you'd have to question, how did you get this video? Because I wasn't even there at that time doing whatever you're saying. So, you know, that, that would be one of those things. That'd be one of those railroad things where they say, "Well, it's important enough to put this guy behind bars, no matter what." So let's conjure something up. But in normal, normal terms, the Sixth Amendment says you have to have witnesses. It has to be more than one. And many times that's not the case. Most people go to court on a parking ticket or a speeding ticket or something like that, and they say, "Well." Let's say it's going to cost me 30 bucks or it's going to cost me 150 bucks, and that's worth my time rather than take all day going through a court a trial and lose work and whatever else. It's cheaper just to pay the ticket, even though I'm not guilty. Um, or if there's no witnesses, then you can't be guilty because there's nobody to show or prove that you did what they say you did. 
And that's one of the issues that you have to decide on each case. Is it worth it? Technically, for me, it is worth it because I think the letter of the law is what is supreme here. And I don't like, you know, getting a ticket or, or having something against my record when there when there's no legal way that it should be there. So that's a big one in Amendment 6. The other one that it doesn't say here what it is, and I don't know when, unless it was just a Chief Justice Marshall again, decided that counsel, and this happens in the states too, that counsel is the same as an attorney huh. or a lawyer. It just says counsel, and the spelling of it is, I can give, that's what I'm doing right now, I'm giving counsel. Okay? So anybody you know that may know more than you do, you can, you should be able to take them to a court, if you're called to court for any reason, and they have enough knowledge about it, they can counsel you, and there shouldn't be any question about that, and you don't need to have someone who is an attorney, according to the Constitution, the written Constitution. Because it doesn't say attorney, it says counsel. So you can have anybody do that. Now, they won't, they won't tell you that. One of the reasons they don't is they want to be able to be in control of the court, and they want to be able to do that by having officers of the court, which all attorneys are, all prosecutors are, and of course all judges are, who shouldn't be there in the first place. Right. Okay. So that's one to remember. It should be an impartial jury, and it should happen in the state. So if I stole something in California, and I went over to Nevada, and that's where they caught me with the goods, where did the crime happen? It happened in California. 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 So California has jurisdiction, and just because I crossed some state line, they try to make us believe that now it's a federal crime. There are no federal crimes unless you're on federal property. That's the only time there's a federal crime. And there is no property between that line of California and Nevada that is federal property. I don't care how wide or how thin, infinitely thin, the borderline is, between California and Nevada, just like in any other state, the borders of any other state, there is no federal property between there. So there's nothing to do with federal. That has to do with the organizations of the states and the uh, agreements of the states, which goes back to the fair, uh, let's see, what was it, the fair part of the Constitution that says, full faith and credit, this is Article 4, shall be given in each state to the public acts. In other words, Nevada is going to agree that, yeah, this guy you caught in our state committed a crime in California, you're welcome to come and get him or we'll take him back to you because that's where the crime has to be tried, by a state court having nothing to do with federal. And if you don't know that, then they might say it's a federal crime and now you're going to be in another illegal court under another illegal judge in federal court in some state, and that shouldn't happen. So... I guess they're good things to know. At least you can 
slow them down a little bit if they're railroading you. Okay, amendment seven. I don't know how much time we've got. We've got a few more minutes, I guess. In more? suits at com I said we have a few more minutes. Yep. Okay, so in suits at common law, this is amendment seven, where the value in controversy shall exceed twenty dollars, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. I don't know how many people even remember the Seventh Amendment. But this is the only time that a judge is involved in any court case. That is when the, that's a civil suit. That is when the amount of money is $20 or less. If it's more, it should be a trial by jury. Now, you can, in this instance, on the Seventh Amendment, you can waive a trial by jury if you want, which I don't think would be a very good idea, depending on what you're fighting over. But if, if the money amount of the lawsuit is $20 or less, then a judge has jurisdiction. If it's over, they don't. So again, in suits at common law or civil law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. Now, many states aren't going by common law. They're going by the statutes they made. And so you should always, especially in a lawsuit, demand that common law is the law they use, especially for the jury if it's over $20. And you should say, okay, I, I want a jury here, and I don't want a judge because this doesn't say judge. This is a jury. It's over 20 bucks. Sorry. Which would be any ticket, most speeding tickets are over 20 bucks. <laughs> so it costs some tickets, too. You, know, you have to say you want a jury. Amendment 7 says I can have one, and you have to provide it. Da, 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 da. Now, we had a case once of a, a truck driver down in southern Utah was flying, you know, at night uh, to get where he had to go, big 18-wheeler. And they pulled him over, gave him a ticket, he got on his way. And then they wrote him and said, you know, your case is, he, he wanted to go to, to trial. They didn't want to just go down and pay the ticket. And so they said, okay, your case is going to be such and such a date and such and such a time. And he wrote back and said, okay, I want a jury. So when you confirm that you will have a jury there, I will show up. And they wrote back and said, we'll take that under consideration. We'll get back with you. And because it costs more for the court to get a jury set up and do all that than the ticket was for, they just never answered him. Never answered him back because, you know, it wasn't worth the money. And they weren't going to get the amount of money out of it that it cost them. So that's one of the things you got to keep in your head, too. Again, I don't know if he knew at the time that if there was only one highway patrolman or whoever gave him the ticket... That doesn't go in the wash either, unless they have more than one witness. Over to Amendment 8. 
Excessive bail should not be required, for nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. That pretty much stands by itself. And I think, except in extreme cases, mostly everybody abides by that, even the police. Now, there are some that have all kinds of brutality and stuff, but usually they're found out and or people witness it and say, wait a minute, there's something going on here. But I think that is not misused as often as many of these others. Amendment 9. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So there are some things, I think, and that's what Amendment 9 says. There's some rights retained by the people that the Constitution has no bearing over. The right to um, live, be happy, and not bother anybody. We're, we're endowed by rights by our Creator that the Constitution can't take away. So that's what this is saying. Nothing in the Constitution shall be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. Now, the Tenth Amendment, somebody brought that up tonight. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, or reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. So... The constitutions of the states can be a little bit more restrictive, but they still have to comply with the United States Constitution. And if they don't, and they were admitted, well, they weren't admitted, they were all created, which is another whole big farce. If they were admitted, then that means the Congress admitted one with the substandard constitution that didn't comply with the United States Constitution. And so they messed up. Now there's a few instances of that. In other words, all constitutions of all the states should be equal as far as how they are pursuant to the United States Constitution. And there are some things that were demanded by Congress before they allowed before they created a state, which they don't have the right to do, uh, and the big one is in Utah because of the things that were going on back in the 1890s and 19, well, I guess it was 1890s, and up through 1900, or I'm not sure the exact year, where they had polygamy going on here. And so it was demanded before the United States Congress would create Utah as a state they had to put in the Constitution of Utah that polygamy was forever banned. Now, that's not in any other state constitution. So there's something that they've required that they shouldn't require unless they're required in all the state constitutions because it's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be equal for all, all states. So that's just one of the little things and there may be others, because I haven't studied all the other state constitutions, but there may be other things in other constitutions that are a little quirky that maybe they were demanded by Congress uh, before they were accepted 
thing is they didn't accept it before they created the state. Um, and so it hasn't been completely equal. The same thing is supposed to happen in federal circuit courts. They're all supposed to be equally, they're supposed to be equal in all their decisions for any states or any people. And yet you can find a lot of discrepancy between different district courts, circuit courts, in some of their decisions. In one circuit court of San Francisco, it'll be different than the circuit court in Denver than the circuit court in Florida. And that shouldn't be. They should be all working off the same, um, you know, should be coming up with the same verdicts on the same kinds of issues in any of those courts. But that doesn't always happen. So that's clear through the first ten. The most Yay. important and the most ones that everybody knows and hears about. And there's some pretty key things in there that we know are not being followed by citizens and by the government because right. the citizens don't know. So So why don't we open it up to general questions? Sure. If we have any Gen- General questions. Hey, you guys, if you have any questions, speak up. Any questions at all? First Ten Amendments, whatever. We actually do have people on the call, by the way. That's good. I have a question. Okay. Um, about, I don't know, four years ago, uh-huh. Um State of California took $4,500 or $4,800 out of one of my accounts. And um, then I went to court into small claims to try to get it back, and I didn't get it back. Is there, is there a way to get that back now? There should be. Um, what was it for? Why did they take your money? They said it was uh, I owed state taxes when I lived in California. State tax? Yeah. Okay, now the whole this opens a whole another thing that you should know. First off, uh-huh. um, is this state income tax? Yes. Okay. Uh, state when when you, I don't know how California is. Yeah. If you fill out your um, California state tax form, do uh-huh. you have to get do you have to get a figure from your federal tax form to put on it to figure out your state tax? Well, number one, I never filled out a state tax form. Never did that. Okay. And so they just went and took the money. Okay. I don't know if you can ever get your money back. You might be able to, but you might have to go the route that I go, which, like I say, this is a whole other can of worms, uh, but it is very effective. And that is the idea that income tax for the federal government is not constitutional. And Title 26 of the Income Tax Code has been proven fraudulent. We have all kinds of documentation to prove that. And it's factual. Uh It's not not just, you know, I think it's this way, you think it's that way. This is factual facts that they cannot deny. So that means the whole Title 26, which is the whole Income Tax Code, is fraudulent. They can't go anywhere with that. They can't use that as a law. Now, if California does like our state... And that is when you fill out your income tax for California, you have to do your income tax for federal first. And then on line such and such, 32, 35, whatever it is, 
take this figure, put it on your state tax, and figure tax on state with that figure. If that's how it is, if that's how it is, that's backwards from what the Constitution says. The income tax, not the income tax, but taxing from the Constitution standpoint, the United States Constitution, is that the states tax their people whatever they need to tax them, and every state, based on their population, is supposed to pay a certain amount of money to the federal government for their share to run the federal government, okay? Right. That's the way it's supposed to be. There should be no direct tax of the federal government on individuals anywhere. They should be taxed by their state, and the state decides to tax whatever amount they need to run the state and whatever portion they think they have to pay for their portion to the federal government. So only money going to the federal government under the United States Constitution should be from the state after they've taxed their people whatever they think they're supposed to tax them. You're never supposed to fill out any kind of a tax form for the federal government. Okay? Uh huh. So the issue we have here in Utah, and you may be in the same situation, I don't pay tax to federal government because right. it's unlawful. And I've given them all the information they need. And they don't answer me. And so I guess they've agreed. Because I don't pay federal tax, there is no way to pay state tax. Because I don't have a figure I can put on their form. And if I did, it would be zero. And if I put zero on my Utah form, there's no way to figure tax on that. I wouldn't owe tax. So there's no way to pay state tax, at least in our state, if you don't pay federal tax. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole issue. If you want to get into that, you can certainly go through the website and, and uh, we can help you out with that and get you started. And This year well, you can t- file what we file. I'll tell you what, Fred, we'll, we'll see if we can get that information over to the website, youhavetheright.com, so people are kind of coming yeah, to exactly. one place. That would be great, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. They took so, another time. They took 17000 out. And I don't know where they came up with the number, but they took 17000 So, Yeah, and I don't know it how was. it is in California, but even with the federal government under their Title 26 rules, they cannot figure or decide the amount of tax. You are the one that's supposed to figure the tax and tell them how much you're going to pay. Then they can go over your tax numbers and say, well, you figured this part wrong based on the numbers you gave us. That's the only mm-hmm. thing they can do. Now, sometimes, if people don't know, they will come up with a figure just on their own, and if you don't question it and stop it and say, wait a minute, you can't do that, even according to your own rules, which aren't any good, um, they'll just go ahead and go do it. Mm-hmm. So we have to be vigilant to make sure they don't do that. Yeah. Okay. 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 Thank you. There you go. better. Real, real quick, um, other people on the call. Did anybody have troubles logging into the call tonight uh, with the talks you're not accepting your number? I did not, so that's Fred. Okay. I only had one person did. I'm just waiting to hear from the other. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Okay. Can I have a question? Sure. Sure, go ahead. Real, real quick, by the way, did you did you have any troubles um, getting on the call? 
No. All right, go ahead. Uh, question I have is to for you to get out of the federal, not paying the federal tax. It sounds like you're sending letters and all, but did that require you to in any way resend your social security number or extricate yourself from the U.S. corporation in order to do that? Not in the tax kit that we have, no. We don't have to worry about that at all. Hmm. We're just claiming that uh, Title 26 is irrelevant, so there is no tax, and you can't, you know, it's it can't be enforced. So thank you very much. You owe me all the money I paid you back. That's basically what it is. Okay. And do you have a process for extricating yourself from the property tax? Uh, you can use this information if you want uh, in in sending it in. We've had, like I say, the one person I know of, and I'm getting ready to do the same. Because because that's what it says, and so they'd have to say, well, that's not what I meant. We'll have to say, well, okay, then what does it mean? It's pretty plain words, you know. What do you mean by that? So I'm sure that somebody will question it because property tax comes from the state, but because the Fifth Amendment says they have to compensate you, now you know they can tax you and then pay you back. That wouldn't make any sense at all. So why do it? Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, so I think that's going to wrap it up for the evening, Fred. Thank you very okay. much. You're welcome. Wow, that was awesome. So we will uh, meet again to finish up. Uh, how many How many other amendments did you want to go over? I don't know. We put it up to 27, so that would be quite a, okay, quite a so number. Okay, so probably two or three more calls. Yeah, maybe. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, well... We'll do it then. So, all right, okay. we'll, we'll we'll get together and figure out when the next call is going to be. We'll go from there. All right. Good luck to everyone. All right. Thank you, Fred, and good night, everyone. Uh-huh. Good Thank night. Bye.